Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. Veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so my doctors advise me to stay home during these COVID-19 concerns. So what am I doing with my time? I'm calling some of the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who have been part of my life during more than 30 years in journalism. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. At the tail end of Bill Snyder's first stretch of coaching football at Kansas State, a linebacker out of the Dallas area signed with the Wildcats after being a lifetime fan of Texas A&M. Sean Lowe went on to earn his degree from K-State, playing in a reserve role and on special teams for the Wildcats. It wasn't, however, football that made Sean Lowe famous. In 2012, Lowe's sister, Shay, and his brother-in-law, Andrew Schull, also a former K-State football player, nominated him to be on the eighth season of The Bachelorette. Lowe ended up being cast as one of the men vying for the hand of Emily Maynard and even survived until the final three. His elimination was a good thing because a couple of months later, Lowe returned for the 17th season of The Bachelor and at the center of attention of a house full of women who were hoping to become Mrs. Sean Lowe. Let's be honest, the track record for creating successful couples from these shows is rather pitiful. But Lowe offered his final rose to Catherine Giudici, and after being wed in a televised ceremony in January of 2014, the couple is happily living in Dallas with their three young children. A man of faith, of tremendous humor, check out his Instagram and Twitter accounts, and great character, Lowe is much more than a reality TV star. This is the first edition of this podcast where I have not been in contact with someone for 15 years or so, but Sean graciously agreed to be my phone pal for the day. So let's call Sean Lowe in Dallas. Mr. Sean Lowe, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. Um, let's refresh everyone. What were your years of football at Kansas State? I was there from 2002 through the 2005 season. Well, let's start there then. Uh, what are your memories of that 2003 championship? How fun was that? Oh, I got a lot of fond memories. Um, you know, starting with the three-game losing streak we had, Early on in the season, we lost uh, We lost that game that we never should have lost to Marshall at home, if you guys remember that one. I think oh, yeah. L. Roberson was out that game, uh, and we just played horribly. And then we, we lost a couple close ones after that to Oklahoma State and UT. So losing three games in a row to, to start your season, I, maybe we started uh, 
two and three or three and three, something, something along those lines. And then to just reel off win after win and really catch fire going into the big 12 championship game. No one giving us a shot. You know, at the time there was a lot of talk around that particular OU team being the best team in the history of college football. And they scored a quick touchdown on us. And then just to come storming back and, and beat them 35 to seven, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was an incredible day. I remember the day before when I went to credential pickup. It was at some hotel in Kansas City. And um, Stuart Mandel, this college football writer, was there. And he asked us what we thought. And I actually said, I, I feel really good about this. I, I don't think I've ever seen a team quite as focused as this team is on the task at hand. And he goes, oh, oh you will win 35-7. to 7. <laughs> he just had it flipped yeah yeah i'll never forget it because when i was leaving the uh press box it said Stuart, perfect game prediction on the score and he goes man i don't know how you knew that and i, I still look back I, I i never have a sense of confidence about a team i cover quite like i did that day for whatever reason against that great oklahoma team but you guys really uh really took it to him how much did you play in that game at all uh, yeah, I, play, I played special teams. I was I redshirted my my true freshman year, so uh, that was the first year where I had the ability to get on the field. And and uh, yeah, I think I was probably if I remember correctly, kickoff, kickoff return, punt return, probably those three. Uh, by the way, I want to let you know that we're walking the high wire here. I have my dogs loose with me, so they could erupt at any moment. I've got a chocolate lab here with me, so the, the same is true on this end of yeah, the phone. It, it could add some color to this conversation at any moment. How did Andrew Scholl get you hooked to be on The Bachelorette? <laughs> That's a great question. The short answer would be I wanted a free vacation. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the honest truth you know at the time i was uh, andrew my brother-in-law who, who played defensive end at k-state he he's in the insurance business has been for a while i've always been really entrepreneurial i, I started this little business that that didn't work out and so i thought you know what i can't take any more risk i'm gonna i'm gonna get into the insurance business too so I started working for Andrew with the idea that, you know, one day I'll have my own agency uh, like he does as well. But I didn't I didn't enjoy it. I did not like selling insurance. And uh, he and my sister had submitted my name on one of those applications to be on that show. And I I was aware of the show, never really watched it. And then one day this Los Angeles area code pops up on my phone and I don't know anyone in L.A. So I pick it up. She tells me, hey, I'm the one of the casting directors here on The Bachelorette, I politely told her, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in being on your your cheesy reality TV show. And uh, before we hung up, she said, well, just think about it. At the very least, you could maybe travel the world and, and take a free vacation. So the thought of that the next day, going to work selling insurance really started to resonate with me. So <laughs> I called her back and said, all right, let's, let's give this thing a shot. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. It's amazing. I mean, how weird yeah. was the process? You, you go in with no expectations. Let's be honest. You're not there for the right motivation. You're not looking for love. You're looking for some travel, but you end up third that season. What a weird process, man. I can't even imagine being in that position. Yeah, the whole thing was really bizarre, especially when you're just thrust into this world of television, which I had no clue about. 
And, uh, you know, it, it, in the beginning, you're just kind of going along with it. And then uh, that first night, you're, uh, you know, when you go to the, the mansion or whatever, and there's 20 camera guys and, and 20 sound techs and 40 producers, and there's all these lights. And, like, it, it was just a very surreal, bizarre experience. And, and you quickly kind of get used to that stuff uh and and you have to develop this level of comfort with uh talking to these producers and trying to express feelings and things like that but you know i've always considered myself just a guy i'm just a guy from dallas and so to be thrust into that world was a very bizarre experience for me yeah i can imagine as you got down to the final three are you thinking i'm i mean obviously you probably weren't thinking marriage were you mean no I, I no but i did it's kind of a funny story because i i thought i had it in the bag it's like you know surely i'm I'm gonna win you know i just i just had that confidence for whatever reason but it turned out to be false confidence because there at the end she's uh giving out the names of of the guys who get roses and so i think the first name she gave was this other guy named jeff and it was me Jeff and uh, uh, the race car driver Ari, who eventually yep. ended up being the bachelor, and I, I had become friends with with both those guys through this process. The first name she said was Jeff, and and my first thought was, "Oh man, my buddy Ari's going home." You know, kind of bummed out for Ari. <laughs> <laughs> little little did I know that it was me that was going home. That's funny stuff. I, I'd imagine that just the whole sense of competition kicks in, especially for someone who's played sports like you that. I want to win. And without thinking about what the consequences of that actually are, you just want to come out on top. Oh, absolutely. There's definitely a level of competitiveness there. And, and uh, you certainly don't want to be sent home early because you know, all your friends are watching at home and you don't want to be that guy who, who has to pack his bags on the first night, that kind of thing. So uh, there's certainly a level of competitiveness. Forgive me for not having my bachelorette knowledge base acquired. I, I, I have a resource called my wife, but I didn't ask her. Did the bachelorette and him stick? Not very many do. No. No, no of course not. Of course not. Of course not. They, <laughs> they didn't stick. I'm I'm one of the few who's yeah. actually dumb enough to uh, make this thing all work out in the long run. <laughs> uh, how long before you were the bachelor? Because Ari was in there. Yeah, so uh, that season of The Bachelorette wrapped up in May of 2012, and we started shooting my season of The Bachelor in September of 2012. So I, I basically had the summer, and that's when they told me, you know, hey, we, we'd we like you to be The Bachelor, and they, they fly you out to L.A. you got to meet with all the heads of, like, uh, Warner Brothers and, and the, the producers and all that stuff so they can all – give you the go-ahead as, as the next Bachelor. So I, I kind of did all that, and then we started filming my season. So it really wasn't much break at all in there for you. Yeah, yeah, not not much of a break. Um, I, was, I was really just thrust right back into it. And off you go. You eventually meet Catherine. Um, as you mentioned, the marriage did work, uh, which is uh, not many do from that show. Go figure. You have three children. You live in Dallas. But let's go back to the start. How quickly did you know Catherine was it? Uh, honestly, not not until the end. And that sounds crazy. I, I tell people this all the time. I kind of went into it thinking, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to give everyone a fair shot. And I'm going to try to just 
keep an open mind about the entire process. And uh, so I kind of had this strategy, you know, when I'm with Catherine, I'm just going to give her my undivided attention. Uh, I'm not going to think about anybody else. And, and the same goes for, for everyone. But that kind of that strategy kind of backfires at the end because you're thinking, well, I, you know, I got a handful of girls and they're all they're all great girls uh, in their own right. And it wasn't until the end where I thought, all right, man, I really got to sit down and think about this and, and figure out, do I see a, a long term potential with with any of these? And and the answer was was pretty clear at the end when I really started to, to think about it. And Catherine was the one that I just consistently thought about. Um and she was the one that I wanted to be around the most. And and then I started to realize, like, wait a minute, I, I think I'm actually against all odds on this cheesy <laughs> reality TV show that I didn't really believe in in the first place. I think I'm starting to fall in love with this girl. And and uh, that that was true. So that's why I, I, I made that monumental decision there at the end to uh, to propose to her. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I did watch part of that season. I've watched a little here and there. Um, one of my former employees watch all the time. My wife watches. My wife even started up a podcast because everyone in America needs to have a podcast. That's <laughs> absolutely. That's, I'm, I'm shocked that you don't have a podcast about something not related to The Bachelor, just talking about stuff. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been approached and I just thought I don't have enough to talk about. <laughs> and so it's probably not for me. Well, I started this podcast. I've been podcasting with GoPowerCat.com, you know, for 10 plus years. I don't even know when we started our podcast, but that's just all K-State sports. And of course, I love doing that. But now I'm locked down because I can't leave because of my cancer. So I'm stuck in this house for God knows how long. And I thought I'd just start calling people. And honestly, you're the first person that I've called during this process. You're number 12 that I haven't kind of maintained a relationship with. You know, we talked a little bit. You probably don't even remember it back when you were playing. But um, let's be blunt here. You didn't play a lot. So you weren't in the interview room a lot. Uh, but I do remember you might have the greatest recruiting story of all time, if I recall this correctly. I hope so, because I've been telling the story about all your Texas A&M gear. Yeah, yeah, my, my dad likes that story. I, <laughs> I, uh, I grew up wanting to, to play at A&M. My dad grew up a, a big Aggie fan. He actually went to Texas Tech, but I think his, his brother-in-law was an Aggie, and he kind of brainwashed my dad at a young age. So my dad became this big Aggie fan. And uh, he he uh, took me to Aggie games and the bonfires they used to have and all that stuff. So I, I really wanted to go there. And, of course, my dad was just always decked out in Aggie gear, shirts and everything. So um, when the time came, I never got a, uh, a scholarship offer from A&M and uh, obviously eventually committed to K-State. And so I think if, if, if I'm thinking of the correct story that you're thinking of, he gave his Aggie gear yep. to yep. a bunch of homeless guys yep. that he was. Yeah. He had like a homeless ministry in Dallas at the time. So I think he gave all his Aggie gear to these, these homeless guys that he knew. And so there's a lot of, at the time there were a lot of homeless guys in Dallas walking around with Texas A&M sweatshirts and t-shirts on. That's beautiful. That's just beautiful. That's so funny. But you end up at K state and uh, how much do you stay in contact? I'm sure you're, in contact with Andrew, he's your darn brother-in-law, but how much are you in contact with old teammates and the program as a whole? Um, I don't have a, a ton of contact. There's, there's a few guys that I played with that, that I still talk to. 
you know, that's that's kind of the unfortunate part part about going to school 500 miles away from home is, yeah. is uh, you know, you don't ultimately end up living near those guys and you and you lose contact with a lot of those guys. But, uh, you know, through social media, that helps. I'm able to follow along with, with some of their lives and so forth. But, uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't get the chance to see uh, a lot of them very often. What are your memories of Bill Snyder? Right. Uh, you know, I covered him since the very beginning, but uh, that's from afar. I can't imagine attempting to play for him. I would have never survived. Let's just put it that way. What was it like playing for him? Yeah, it, it was uh, for me. It was a, a culture shock, quite honestly. Like most Division One football players, I was always one of the more skilled, better players on my teams growing up and in high school. And then uh, you're thrown into a big time program with a hard nosed coach. It's it's a culture shock. And and being in Manhattan, Kansas is much different than, than being down here in the Dallas area. Um, and and Coach Schneider is from the old school. He it's it was work work work. And I know they've changed the rules since I was there as far as the amount of time you can practice and, and things like that. But you know the idea of a, even at the time of a Division one school going full pads in the season, three hour <laughs> practices was just unheard of. And we would hear stories of uh, Gundy uh, in, in Stillwater doing these like hour and a half practices and his philosophy of, of kids retaining more information if, if they're not overworked and things like that. And we were just dreaming of, of something that great because it was just grind, grind, grind at K-State. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, I think uh, as far as my career goes, I was just too immature at the time to handle that. I I didn't put forth the amount of effort that it, it really took to succeed <laughs> there <laughs> under those circumstances. But, uh, yeah, and the thing that's really interesting about Coach Snyder, and I've, I've got, I think, once you leave the program, you've got a different perspective, and I certainly respect him, as everyone else does, but... I think I gain more respect for him as more time goes by because when you're in the program under coach Snyder, he didn't interact with the players all that much. Even at practice, he, he let his position coaches coach. He would walk around with his little voice recorder and make notes to himself. And, and you couldn't hear what he was saying. You just knew he was making notes and he would after practice go over those notes, I assume, and, and coaches coaches. So uh, unless you just screwed up royally during practice, you really didn't hear from coach Snyder. Um, and, and like I say, he would let his position coach his coach, but I, I, I think that worked out tremendously for him. It obviously did. He had so much success with talent that wasn't five-star talent, like the UTs of the world or the USC's and things like that. And we always won because we were the most disciplined team who committed the least amount of penalties and we just outworked most other teams. And so. Um, you know, looking back at it to, to realize what he did with the talent he had in Manhattan, Kansas, it's, it's pretty amazing. That really is. You, you mentioned looking back, um, <clears throat> you understand things a little bit better. He does afford you a lot of life lessons that you don't realize as you're being hammered over the head with them, what they mean. But at the end of the day, you're like, oh, okay, now that kind of makes sense why he did things this way. I imagine you show up for everything on time now. Oh, I, I still, I, I kid you not. I will have nightmares of running late to one of coach Snyder's meetings. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, 
You know, he was notorious. He called it cat time. So if yep. a meeting started at, at 8 o'clock, you better be there at 745 because he's not going to start the meeting at 8 o'clock. He's going to start it at 757 to see who walks in late. And uh, even if you show up at 758, you say, I'm not late. The meeting has started. No, you're late <laughs> as far as Coach Snyder's concerned. And so, yeah, my wife gives me a hard time now because I want to show up early to everything because he has drilled that inside of me, and I'm, I'm deathly scared of, of being late. <laughs> That's so true. I'd walk into a press conference once in a while a couple minutes before the the start, and he'd be going, and I'm like, I'm late. I, I know I'm early, but I'm late. It's just uh, – <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you can't teach the media these lessons. We're not smart enough to figure that out. So I did that a number of times throughout my career. Do you ever make it back to Manhattan? Yeah, I. Uh, let's see. I haven't been back to Manhattan. I don't think in three years. Long, long overdue. I was really itching to get back this past year with with kids and everything else going on. Stuff always pops up. I was able to make it to Stillwater this past season to watch that ugly game. Uh, there, but yeah. Uh, this this next season, I'm I'm excited to get up there. My son, my my oldest son, he'll be four, so he's starting to kind of realize what football is and, and gain somewhat of an appreciation for it. He knows that that I played there and his uncle played there, so I'll be excited to take him up there and, and show him Manhattan. If we have football, um, if we have that's that's the big question. Yeah, Mark. it's craziness. I, on our other podcast, I had a long rant about how important football is for all of college athletics and probably universities as a whole. This is such a weird time. How are you, Catherine, and the three kids handling this? Uh, we're, we're handling it well. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that have it a lot worse yeah. than we do. So we, we really can't complain. You know, having three kids under four years old in the house can be a handful at times, but uh, all things considered, we're, we're doing great. So, you're not going to get any complaints out of us. I can't imagine, brother. Three kids under four. What? What the hell are you thinking, man? Yeah, that's a great question. I I don't know. I don't think that we were thinking when producing these children, but uh, <laughs> we they're here, so we we just got to make the best of it. Well, you have the process down. That's the important part. <laughs> you, you know how to get it done. Uh, yeah, we, we know how to make them. We just don't know how to raise them. Ah, details. They'll figure it out themselves. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's crazy that to think that not till the very end you kind of locked in on Catherine. 
But why has your marriage worked in so many of these, which doesn't surprise me, they don't work because of the circumstance, but what has made you kind of unique to the field of study here, bachelor, bachelorette couples? Not to sound too judgmental. I think a lot of times you are thrust into the spotlight. I mean, you, when you're the bachelor, you are the lead on one of the most watched shows in the world that's syndicated all over the world. Everybody wants a piece of you. You're you're going on all these talk shows, Ellen DeGeneres and Jimmy Kimmel. And, uh, you know, you're doing all this stuff. It's very easy to start thinking that you're kind of a, a bigger deal than you actually are. It's very easy to, you know, you've got this this woman over here that you just proposed to spend the rest of your life with. It's, it's I think it's very easy to neglect that commitment and start focusing on other things. And it's also a challenge in that circumstance of The Bachelor. You're you're proposing to someone that doesn't live in the same city as you. They come from a different family, different upbringing. One of you will be forced to leave your job behind, your friends behind, your family behind, all that stuff. So I think that's just a giant cocktail of uh, <laughs> of a, a, a relationship that's going uphill. It's, it's, it's not easy, but I give all the credit to Catherine as far as we're concerned. She willingly left her family and friends and job behind to start a life with me here in Dallas. And I, I can't begin to imagine how difficult that was. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, we've just decided we're going to commit to one another. We will be our, our top priority. And, um, you know, that's worked out for us. And, of course, we've got our faith as the foundation, which yeah. I think plays a, a monumental role in it all. And she was from the West Coast, right? Yeah, she's from Seattle. That's right. That's right. So you think about like a Texas boy with with these conservative values that I have, and, and uh, Seattle's just like uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a different world. It sure so is. to think about her leaving that for this is is uh, that was a big change for her. Well, it's not like it's a pig farm in Wisconsin. It's Dallas, for God's sakes. It's a big city. And sometimes I see a bachelor, I'm like, oh, you. Good luck finding someone to move there, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had we had the bachelor a couple of years ago that was raised on a farm in Iowa and I I think that was a giant hurdle for him to try to convince any woman to to live out there. Yep, I uh I'm just fascinated the genre has done so well. I really am. When it started up, I was like, oh, "Okay, this will last a few years." And now they're doing a music one right now that my wife's watching and you know, I I've been telling people it's only a matter of time before they do a same sex thing uh, why not at this point uh I'm, I'm just astonished at how this genre has thrived and not gotten stale because you look at most of these survivor and other things it seems like they get stale but i guess the recreation of the bachelor bachelorette keeps it going i'm not sure and yeah, every, every, you know, every they, episode's different every season's different i i, I had the same thoughts as you and i to this day, I, I didn't watch it before I was The Bachelor. And I don't, if, if I'm uh, confessing here, I don't watch it now. My wife does, but I just it, it's not my type of show. So I kind of thought it would get stale, too. Even you had the huge hit of American Idol, the biggest show in the world at one point, and it, it grew stale. I think they're trying to reboot it yeah. now. But I think what's brilliant about The Bachelor, and they've got it down to a science, is they know they've got this casting department that casts the show extremely well. They don't cast 25 people with good heads on their shoulders who are <laughs> going to be good potential matches. They'll, 
They'll cast a few of those people, but then they know how to cast the crazies who are going to create the drama. So, you know, they've, they've got this recipe of drama and love. They infuse it with some comedy. And then they're traveling the world, staying in the most exotic places you could ever imagine. And when you combine all that, it's just this its this hit show. And then on top of that, they recycle cast members as they did me. So, you know, they have someone like me who's on The Bachelorette who makes it pretty far, far enough to where the audience gets to know them, um, who's rooting for them, and then they get kicked off. So the audience is emotionally invested in this person who just got kicked off. So they say, okay, we're going to bring you back to be the bachelor. So we've already got an emotional investment from the audience geared up for this next season. And then the cycle continues over and over and over again. And yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It is not slowing down like I thought it would. And uh, I think now with social media being as big as it is, that's only helping to propel this thing forward. And then of course all the tabloids and everything love the bachelor. So it's a, it's a machine that doesn't look to stop anytime soon. Well, this season was a train wreck and it kind of proved what I've said about the show is quite often people are on that show because they're a little bit screwed up when it comes to love. And there's a reason why they're single. I don't think that was probably your case, but uh, certainly the bachelor this year, was kind of a circus at the end. Um, you mentioned travel early on. Where did you go during your shooting of the bachelorette and when you were the bachelor? Oh man. Yeah, that was, that was a fun year. So if I can think about it, let me see here. We did Bermuda, London, Croatia, Prague, um, the Caribbean Island. I'm not recalling the name right now. So that was the Bachelorette, and then moving on to The Bachelor, we started with Montana, then we went to Lake Louise in Canada, and then we did, uh, what did we do before Thai? St. Croix and Thailand. So uh, I got my wish. I, I got the free vacations I was looking for when I was selling insurance. I, that was a fun year of traveling. That's awesome. Those are all great destinations. That's an incredible list of places to go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and going back to why this show is so successful, uh, it, what's genius also is from, from a production standpoint, the show is very cheap to produce. You're not paying the contestants, and the boards of tourism in all these different countries are paying for you to go there. Oh, wow. So their their budget is really, really thin. And so to be able to produce a show that commands high-dollar ad value um, on, on such a shoestring budget like it's a, it's a no brainer for the network. Are you flying charters everywhere? No, no, they're they're flying commercially. Um, well, that sucks. <laughs> I know. Come on, you could at least charter a plane. Yeah, I would imagine going over to Europe, they'd throw you on a charter or something. But wow, that's that's very interesting. That does indicate that they're doing it on a great budget. No wonder the show lasts. Why cancel it when it's probably driving that kind of ad revenue? It's probably just. I wonder if it's one of the most profitable shows in TV history. It, it has to be. I know I'm, I'm friendly with uh, the creator of the show, Mike Blyce, and I think he spends most of his time either on his yacht out in the middle of the ocean <laughs> or at, a, at his house in Maui. So he's he's doing just fine. Oh, that's, that's horrible. I bet you he's really struggling during COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> Between the yacht and Maui, it's probably tough to get by. Yeah, tough life. How much do you stay in touch with the entire like Bachelor Nation? I stay in contact more with the producers and uh, 
the people associated with the show than the cast, to be honest. There's, there's a few guys that were on The Bachelorette with me, but as far as, uh, quote-unquote, Bachelor Nation, you know, a lot of that is geared towards the younger cast members who like to get together and party and stuff like that. And that's just, we're, we're in a different chapter of life, yeah. Catherine and I are. So that's, that's not something we really uh, take part in all that often. Plus, it worked. So they don't need you anymore. They don't need to put you on an island with other beautiful people. You're stuck. <laughs> it, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, we're, we're solidified over here, so we're good. <laughs> Catherine and you have worked so well. Um, it just it impresses everyone. It, uh, this is going to be a weird question, Sean. I, you've, you've proposed to her. You're going to get married. You're doing the strange road show, as you mentioned. When did you know? Oh, hell yes. This I made the exact right decision. This is my wing person for the rest of my life. Oh, man, that's a big question. Um, I think, well, I, I realized I, I could not be away from her there at the end of, of The Bachelor. Um, as I said, I, I, I had this epiphany where it's like, oh, crap, I better really start to uh, zero in and, and, and figure out if one of these women are for me. And uh, I kept thinking about Catherine, Catherine, Catherine over and over thinking, I just want to be with her. I love having fun with her. I love, you know, we were always laughing and it, she was such a pleasure to be around. It, she had this very magnetic personality. And um, uh, there was a time where we were getting on, we were all getting on the flight. The Bachelor does the way it works is they always put the bachelor on a different flight than the contestants because they don't want any interaction between the two that isn't filmed. And so I would always fly out to a location first and then all the girls would fly out after me. But, uh, there was one location, I think we were flying to St. Croix where there was only one plane that was going there. And so everyone had to be on the same flight and the producers are telling me, you know, do not, do not talk to the girls. Do not look at the girls. We don't want any interaction off camera. And they had me up in first class, and so I'm seated first, and all the, the, the girls, unfortunately, had to sit back there and coach. And so they all had to walk past me in my seat. And this <laughs> this is going to sound cheesy and stupid, and it, it probably is, but Catherine and I had this little running inside joke at the time. Or I, I said, I just want to take you to Cuddletown, USA, you know, because we kept, <laughs> we, we kept talking about how, you know, these fancy dates are great, but what we really want to do is just order a pizza sit in our sweatpants on the couch and, and watch a movie. That sounded better than any fancy date The Bachelor could dream up. And this is towards the end of filming. And, and so there's a, a few girls that are walking past me on the plane. And I had scratched out the destination on my plane ticket. And I wrote Cuddletown, USA. And as Catherine was walking by, I slipped it in her bag without anyone noticing. But it, I didn't even think about it at the time. But that was the gesture I thought, you know, I... I wanted to show Catherine that she was more special because I hadn't done anything like that to anybody else. But I, I wanted to show her that I just I was thinking about her and I wanted to be with her and just slipping her this cheesy little inside joke that we had. But that was probably the moment where I thought, yes, yes, this this is the girl that I want to spend my time with. That I will spend the rest of my life with. And kids, that's how dad named his podcast Cuddletown USA. <laughs> Your social media is magic, man. You have so much. You kind of approach it the same way I do. Like, I'm just going to have fun here. And sometimes I get serious and I do work stuff on there because I'm media. But mostly I'm just effing around most of the time I'm on social media and, and being an idiot. And, and I think we share that. You have a lot well, of fun I, with it. 
I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, we, <laughs> it's funny. That's that's become my calling card is uh, just being goofy and having dad jokes and making fun of my kids and things like that. And what's funny is I I didn't consciously think to do that, but uh, you know Instagram came about, and so I just started posting pictures and writing stupid captions. And uh, you know after a while, people start the word social influencer comes about. Oh boy. I don't even, I don't even know what that is. I certainly didn't consider myself to be a, a social influencer. And then, uh, you know, all these companies start knocking on our door saying, Hey, we want to work with you. You know, we, we love your, your family brand that you created. This kind of a comedic family friendly brand. And I didn't think of it as a brand. I was just having fun doing what I normally do, cracking jokes at the expense of my kids but uh yeah people apparently like it <laughs> and it, it's uh it's definitely opened up a lot of opportunity there as far as social media advertising goes so i i've, I've enjoyed it I've, I've enjoyed the feedback i've gotten and it's yeah it's, it's kind of fun for me now to sit back and and think about the next dad joke i'm gonna write nobody's knocking on my door brother no nobody wants my brand uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who would actually advertise on my social media. Uh, is that primarily your job now? I mean, you're not in insurance anymore, are you? You're out of no, the no. It's it's not my job. Um, we certainly do quite a bit of it, and uh, I'm not going to turn down free money. But no. uh, I've got a furniture company that I run full time. Oh, cool. Home 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 by Sean and Catherine Lowe's our furniture company. So we. We run that everything from A to Z, and I've got a business partner that that helps me run it. But uh, yeah, that's that's my job these days, and so it goes back to my entrepreneurial roots. Got out of insurance. Uh, the Bachelor opened up a world of of opportunity, and I was able to to get involved in the furniture business, and I've I've absolutely loved it. Ever thought about segueing into a HGTV style show? <laughs> yeah, you all. You know, it's funny not to give too much away is, is they have uh, contacted us and, and shown interest in, in doing something with us. And I guess they they knew that I had done some real estate investments in the past. So they knew I kind of had a background. But uh, through our discussions so far, you know, I, I'm not a home flipper. I can't pretend to flip homes. And uh, I uh, I don't know if there's anything there. But, you know, never say never. We'll, we'll see what the future holds. Yeah, they, they seem to do the same thing over and over in that genre different cities different couples different people but it's the same thing you know? yeah they've, they've got their formula too just like the bachelor and apparently it works for them well you're a texas guy are you amazed at how cheap houses are in waco what the hell <laughs> they, they buy like a decent house for ninety nine thousand dollars in manhattan kansas you can't find anything under 150 it seems like and then they yeah for a couple hundred thousand. yeah I, I do. I, I watch that show and I think, what does the neighborhood look like? The house looks beautiful, but what is that neighborhood just completely trash? I, I don't know how they get them so cheap. Yeah, I, I have visions of these immaculate places just in a bad, bad street. And, and everyone around you is staring at your house like, I hate you. I hate you so much. I, I do think that the the couple from Fixer Upper they have re-energized Waco down there. And, it's incredible. And, uh, it's incredible yeah, what they've done for that incredible. town. It is incredible. And yeah. uh, let alone what they've done for themselves. You talk about capitalizing. I mean, they they do their own stuff now. They're even off the air and they're still rolling. And it. it's when you hit the right formula in that 
reality TV genre. It's pretty incredible to watch it erupt. But uh, yeah, and I, I give them all the credit. Um, they've apparently stayed true to who they are. They're they're just likable. Yeah. They're just likable people who are down to earth. And yeah, they've got their own magazine and TV network now, and uh, furniture line, and, and all these different things. But it, it doesn't seem to have changed them. And and uh, yeah, good for them. And they also reproduce a lot, so you have that in common with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. It's uh, yeah, you you repeated a tweet or retweeted a tweet that I just love the one about the the guy putting the whipped cream in the cup and the dog sliding out from behind the cupboards. Uh, yeah, that was genius. That that dog, I mean. That's that was just so funny, and that's exactly it. Every time I get sick of the politics and the bickering and the the sniping on Twitter, one of those pops up, and I'm like, okay, that's why I'm here. The rest I just had got to put up with and cut through, and survive Twitter that way. Yeah, that's why I I never ever tweet anything political. I just get tired head uh, <laughs> with all the back and forth bickering, like you mentioned, and Twitter can be such an ugly place. It can, it can be honestly very depressing if you just start reading the way people communicate with one another. So that's why I, I try my best just to promote comedy and, and positivity because, uh, we don't, we don't need to live in that world where everyone's yelling at everyone. I know that's exactly it. it and it's such a minority of those who are really on Twitter, but boy, they enjoy it. Um, they just kind of they get their hooks into you, and and they stay after you. The thing about social media is you can be the guy that believes that aliens came to Earth to play soccer, and find a thousand people just like you on social media. No matter how whacked out your beliefs are, there are a thousand people at least just like you around the world that will find you on social media. Oh, yeah. And they, they only spur each other on as uh, well. And then they convince themselves that everyone believes this because, look, I'm looking around my fishbowl here and there's a thousand fish that are just like me. So everyone outside the fishbowl must be like this, too. And that's yep. the the strange thing about it. Well, we climbed down a weird hole right here. That's kind of weird place <laughs> we found ourselves. Um, your faith really has to help in times like this with the COVID-19. I mean, it's, you know, my faith, I, I'm very private about it. And that's paid off with cancer. I just, there's a plan here. I'm not supposed to know the plan. I'm just oh, supposed yeah. to trust the plan. That's hard to do, but here we are. And we just have to trust that this is here for a reason and we're going to figure it out. Maybe it's to make us better people as a society. Yeah. Yeah. No, my, my faith impacts the way I look at absolutely everything. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching or anything like that, but you know, the fact of the matter is, since the dawn of civilization, terrible things have been happening to the human race. It's like, yeah. that's just the nature of man. There have always been wars. There is all, There have always been plagues. There have always been natural disasters. Uh, innocent people have always died. That's, that's just the world we live in. And I, uh, I don't say that to make it sound dark, but whether you live... 20 years or whether you live 100 years, your time on earth is going to end. Uh, and, and there's a, and okay, now, now you've got me preaching, but there is a verse in okay. James 4.14 that, that says life is but a vapor, uh, meaning compared to eternity, your time on earth is just a blink of an eye. And so I always try to keep that perspective. You know, this is not my home. It'll be over before I know it. 
So I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to stress too much about my current circumstances because I know that there is a God that loves me. And when my time here is done, I'm going to spend eternity with him. So to answer your question, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. My, my faith helps me tremendously. And in an unprecedented situation like we're in right now, I don't think it's impacted me emotionally as, as much as it may someone who doesn't have my, my perspective. It also helps me that my minister lives like four houses down, so I can just shout at him if I need some help. <laughs> that, that, that might come in handy, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Um, yeah, I, I hesitate to get too much into religion in our society because of the pushback. But as I tell people, um, if you're not comfortable you know, saying that you're going to send me prayers, just send me some good vibes. To me, it's the same thing. Just uh, You're going about it in a different way. You may not know that it's prayer. But if you're thinking kindly of someone, my friend, that's prayer. That's that's what you're doing right there. And, and a lot of people don't always grasp that fact. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's all rooted in love. And yeah. uh, that's what that's what we need more of. Which brings us back to Twitter and people hating each other. Come on. Stop that. <laughs> stop that. And I'd forgotten you did Dancing with the Stars. That had to be more nerve wracking than any Bachelor Bachelorette. I can't imagine going out and doing that. Yeah, it was pretty nerve wracking. It, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize what I was getting into. Honestly, I didn't know what what a time commitment that thing would be. But uh, for a white guy that doesn't have the best dance moves, that that was an uphill battle for me. I just can't even wrap my mind around. I can't learn to two step, and I've grown up in Kansas, so I can't imagine doing the tango and everything else you had to probably do well, on that show. I I couldn't either. And then I quickly realized the way you remember how to do this stuff is you practice 12 hours a day every day for oh. a week and then you do your dance and then you start over on another dance the following day so it was like i said man what a time commitment that was it it was a lot of fun um it was uh you know it's kind of just a once in a lifetime opportunity that's why i decided to take it but I didn't realize hindsight, it was really unfair to Catherine. We had just gotten engaged and now I'm spending all my time doing dancing with the stars when I should have been spending it with her, but it, it was a, it was a good experience and I made it as far as I could. I think out of 12 people, I finished six. So I was, I was happy with that. So 12 hours a day, I'm just going to publicly say this dancing with the stars producers. Don't call me. Don't let's not go there. <laughs> if you ever have a fat old guy version of this, I'm out, man. I'll do. Well, I'll, give, I'll give you a half hour. I'll, I'll I'll commit a half hour a day to learning these dances, and if I can, I'll be eliminated. Yeah, they uh, in, in every season they have people that aren't in great shape, and they they end up losing like fifty pounds, you know, because of <laughs> just burning calories all day long. Maybe I need that. Uh, my God, my knee wouldn't hold up. I have football injuries, and I didn't play football, uh, so it's, uh, <laughs> but they're probably from uh, just being. In a fraternity in college, I suffered injuries, and I didn't realize it at the time. That'll happen. Well, Sean, it sounds like you guys are doing great in Dallas. Um, we are at advantages that others don't have. I'm, I'm often so thankful in this predicament that I live in a town like Manhattan, Kansas. We have 50,000 people, and right now no students. So we are socially distant by design right now. And I have a half acre of property here in the middle of town so I can get out and walk around my gardens and have some fun and play with the dogs and not worry about it. I'm not living on top of one another like in a big city or, you know, one of those old towns in Italy where the, the virus just ripped through because everyone was so yeah. close to each other. 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you have that perspective. And I will be praying for you and your, your journey through cancer down Thank here. You. So Thank you. Um, it all adds yeah. up, and I feel it. And pe- people who aren't religious don't understand that. But uh, in times of trials, when I'm having bad days, I feel that. I, I feel it, and it picks me up. Yeah, well, that we'll, we'll certainly be doing that down here, and, and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. So all right. Much. You got it. Great to talk to you. You bet. Bye-bye. Sean's awesome. Seriously, if you're not following him on Instagram or Twitter, you need to do so, particularly on Instagram, where his humor combined with photos delivers plenty of laughs. And we are done with another edition of the Life of Fitz podcast. But not before I remind men who are 45 or older to get with their doctor to check their PSA. My prostate-specific antigen score shot up at age 53, and two years later, I've experienced surgery, radiation, and ongoing hormone therapies to battle my stage 4 cancer that spread into my bladder. A random PSA score probably saved my life from prostate cancer. Make sure you give yourself a chance to beat prostate cancer, too. Take care, everyone. I'll talk to you real soon.